actually originally started in retail at the age of, well, early 20s, I had 65 middle-aged women working for me. And there's no way I get to tell any of those people what to do. So my management style <laughs> evolved from this. I had to persuade people that my idea was a good one and that they should come on this journey with me. Welcome to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores exceptional career success stories, inspiring and insightful personal brand journeys that answer the question, are you coffee or are you Starbucks? Fascinating conversations with leaders about their career breakthroughs from entertainment, tech, media, and more. You'll learn how they've turned up the volume on their brand to unlock success. Firsthand, uncensored, and real, as told by people who've been there and plenty of inspiration and practical tools to help you lead with your brand every day as you drive towards your next career breakthrough. And now, here's your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Hey everybody, Jason Patria here, and you are listening to the Lead With Your Brand podcast, which is the podcast for folks just like you who are looking to turn up the volume, show your value, and lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. Well, we've got another amazing show. I am going to be speaking with Dominic Monkhouse, tech growth advisor and author of the book, F Plan B. But before we get to our exciting conversation with Dominic, let's talk a little bit about being on brand. More specifically, let's talk about what being off brand looks like. Because we spend so much time talking about what being on brand looks like, sometimes it's valuable to remember what off brand looks like. Let me tell you a little bit of a story. Now, my producer, Joe, has spent over 30 years working in the marketing space. And, you know, about 20 years ago, he was working with an amazing client, Nike, doing a lot of their multicultural marketing, especially targeting women and the LGBTQ plus community. Now, we all love Nike. In fact, when I go and speak at big conferences, most of the time, Nike shows up as one of the top three favorite brands from any one of my audiences. And of course, we know Nike because what do they stand for? They stand for overcoming obstacles and winning and athleticism and being your personal best, right? That's ultimately what being on brand for Nike is. Well, I remember Joe was working with Nike and here in Los Angeles, you know, the AIDS walk and they had approached Joe and said, oh, it's Nike at shoes and we do walking. It's the AIDS walk. Can you get us in front of Nike? I know that this is like the perfect marriage. This is so co-branded for them. And Joe instinctively was like, yeah, I'm not sure. I don't really think it's a really good brand fit. And they were like, oh no, come on. Anyways, they had kept talking to Joe about getting in front of Nike. And Joe finally said, hey, you know what? I have a meeting with them. We're talking about different pro-social activities that we might want to do here in Southern California. So give me your stuff, but I'm pretty sure it's not going to be a fit. So of course they gave him the stuff. Joe had the meeting and he came back and he said, hey, you know what? It's really a no-go. And everyone felt like they were shocked. They felt like it was a marriage made in heaven. And Joe said, quite frankly, they said this. We're Nike and we run. We don't walk. 
We're Nike, we run, and we don't walk, right? Because quite simply, Nike was super clear on what was on-brand and off-brand for them. Because when you think about your brand, it's as important what you choose not to do as what you choose to do. And Nike was saying, we are choosing not to do things that are not truly about athleticism and physical fitness, right? They were saying, if you're talking about a marathon, if you're talking about a basketball team, if you're talking about pro or collegiate sports, we're all in, but walking is not part of that brand. So I want you to think for yourself, what are those things that you're doing to be on brand? But more importantly, what are some of those things that you need to draw a line in the sand and say, hey, I absolutely don't do that. I could do that, but it might take me off brand. I'll tell you an example for myself. You know, I have clients that come up to me all of the time and they ask me to do things, speak on this topic. Can you build training on this? Can you help us create some type of initiative that's going to help transform some thinking with our workforce? And hey, I am all in, but sometimes I have to say no to requests. I've had requests that are things like, can you teach sexual harassment training? And you know what? Hey, I spent years in human resources. Of course, I could teach sexual harassment training, but I choose not to because it's not part of my brand. And doing that and messaging that actually brings me off brand, right? That doesn't help me become Hollywood. That doesn't help me become a showman or a super connector. So it doesn't mean that I can't do it. It means that I don't do it because it pulls me off brand. So here's your challenge. What are a couple of things that you may be doing on autopilot or you're doing them because you can do them, but they are actually taking you off brand? Well, let's get into our show for today. I have a fabulous guest. It is Dominic Monkhouse, who is a tech growth advisor, a podcaster, and he's the author of the popular book, F Plan B. Now, Dominic is the silent weapon tech companies hire to achieve explosive growth. As managing director at Rackspace, he grew their team from four to 150, and he grew their annual revenues from 250000 to 30 million pounds. Now, he founded the UK business Pier One, scaling it from zero to 30 million pounds in five years and helped grow their global business from 90 million to $200 million before it was finally acquired for $685 million. And at IT Lab, he took the business from near bankruptcy to an award-winning firm that sold for $26 million pounds. He's also the host of the Melting Pot Show, and his weekly newsletter is read by over 6,000 of the world's top leaders. We'll be back in just a moment with Dominic Monkhouse. For over 25 years, Jason has coached, trained, and developed thousands of leaders and executives, helping them achieve their next career breakthrough. He's a featured speaker at global conferences and companies to help everyone bring their best authentic self to work, show their value, and lead with their brand every day. Get more tips and tools at leadwithyourbrand.com. And we are back. I am here with an amazing guest. It is Dominic Monkhouse. Dominic, what is going on today? 
Well, it's a lovely sunny day here in the New Forest in England. It's good. Awesome. So talk to me, Dominic. We want to hear all about your career breakthroughs and your executive brand. So start off and tell me when you first meet people, how do you explain who you are and what it is that you do? I'm not sure I explain who I am. Uh, I guess most of the clients who end up working with me come through referrals, so they have some idea. So typically I say, what did they tell you about me? It's all lies. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and what do I do? I, I help entrepreneurs, CEOs, business leaders get unstuck. You know, people are growing business, fast growing businesses, typically our clients of mine, uh, purpose led, and they wouldn't be talking to me if they weren't stuck somewhere. Yeah. And so that's the, let's stop talking about me and talk more about them. Very cool. And so I know you're also the host of The Melting Pot Show, a weekly podcast, and you're an author. So tell me a little bit about that. Well, the uh, first episode we did of The Melting Pot, which is a few years ago now, I think we're up to 200 and something episodes. Five five people listened. You know how that is at the beginning, you know, (laughs) and one of them's your mother. But actually, (laughs) (laughs) but actually, I don't, uh, I, I find it fascinating. You know, I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I get to talk to some amazing people who, if I wasn't doing a podcast, me ringing them up for, for an hour or so and asking them a load of questions would just be downright rude. And uh, so I get, I get to ask them loads of questions, push them for answers. I get to meet some amazing people. So that's been perfect. You know, they tend to be either experts in a particular field, sales or marketing often. Uh, that's where a lot of people are stuck. Uh, their authors, uh, you know, were um, had Fred Reichelt on, the guy who invented Net Promoter Score recently. Yeah. So he was Fred was fab, uh, but loads of other great people, um, and uh, and then CEOs of of successful businesses, you know, either fast growing businesses or maybe they've even done an exit. So. Yeah. And so talk to me a little bit about your career. Obviously, now you are a coach to big executives and and leaders. But if you go back over the years in your career, what have been some of the big breakthroughs that got you to where you are today? Uh, uh, (laughs) Well, one of the things that that I'll start with a story, right? Because I I um, I was talking to somebody yesterday about he said, "Oh, some. I was. It was with. A, I was with a private equity firm, and he was saying some of the people that we're talking to are saying talent acquisition is difficult." And I said, "I just don't think it's true. I think, <laughs> I think if you make it your number one priority, it's possible." And I just, you know, I we're recruiting at the moment for people, and I get, I just get random CVs thrown at me, and I get this CV, and I think, okay, they must have read the job ad. They wouldn't have pressed send otherwise. And I just think back to the first time I got a sales job or sales sales leadership job. The company that hired me for sales director, twenty two hours of interviews. Um, wow! And I and I was I was completely winging it. I hadn't actually managed a sales <laughs> team at all, but I I managed to string together a few things that made it look like I had um, I'd managed a sales team. And I I put together some mentors. So I had sort of three people who had run sales teams. And every time I went through part of the interview stage, I'm like, okay, this is where I'm weak. Tell me what I should be saying next time. Coach me, coach me. Because I really wanted the job. And then I, and I got the job. But on the first day I turned up and I, I really was suffering from uh, anxiety because now I'd, got, now I'd sold myself in 
I had no idea how to manage a 25 person sales team. I mean, no idea. So I was completely, <laughs> completely winging it for the first few months. And I, and, but I look at, I look at some of the people who apply for jobs for me or elsewhere. And I just think, man, if you really want a job or if you're really trying to fill, fill roles, both parties are just going around, just going around it the wrong way. Um, and so I've, I've always, uh, I don't know. People often then, you know, later on in my career, people would say, do you have a CV? And it's like, no, <laughs> and, and, and I'm not, and I'm not going to write one. So either we want to talk. And I, and I guess I quite like Blair Inns, who's written a great book called the no pitch manifesto yeah. where, where, you know, sales is a conversation. It's not uh, it's not a proposal. And so if you think that's, you know, if you think that's true, then why would you submit your CV for a job? If you're, trying to work somewhere where you really want to work, then I think, uh, I think you apply directly. So I think all of the jobs I got after that one weren't CVs. They were conversations. I got referred. Somebody rang me up and said, would I like a job? And, and that, was, that was it. I haven't had a CV since the early 80s. Wow. Wow. Well, well, that, that's, a, that's some good mojo, right? But it means that you're, uh, you're great at having conversations. Now, I, I know that you have been an MD or managing director at, at many organizations, right? At, at Rackspace, you grew the team from four to 150 people. You took it from 2000 to 200,000, uh, uh, pounds, uh, there in terms of, of client lifetime value. Talk to me a little bit about how you first got into founding companies and becoming an MD. Uh, I see. I got this job. I got that job as head of sales manager, sales director, and I realized that actually the thing there was a there's a key piece of running a sales team, which is sort of pipeline review once a week. Yeah, I hate I hate that. <laughs> I, I I I I realized that I was more entrepreneurial. You know. If I think about the CEOs that I've worked with and maybe even myself, you know, it's maybe late for meetings, um, more big picture than detail. In fact, a team, a team said to one of the CEOs that I work with at the moment, they said, please, no more blue sky. Can we just have a plan? Um, <laughs> and so I realized that that weekly management thing was never, it was always going to be painful for me. So I needed to get whatever level I, I need to get above. So I thought, right. I need, I'll get an MBA and I'll become a managing director. That's my plan. Cause then I won't need to do any of that stuff. Um, and so that, that, uh, that decided me on my career trajectory. I, I had to get, I had to get the top job somewhere. And I was lucky to find myself in a position where some North American companies needed some UK businesses standing up and, uh, and got to build out build out those businesses over here. And I think that that could disconnect, if you like, in time zone and time and space meant I got all of the autonomy I needed and uh, none of the control and supervision that would have made it impossible for me, <laughs> for me to work there. So for you, it's really about finding that uh, ideal environment that works for you, right? Oh, yes, I think so. I, I, you know, I now work with, we use uh, the table groups working genius assessment with clients you know, and McKinsey did a 10 year study, which said, if, if people are in flow, you know, when you're doing that thing and time stands still, right, you don't need, you're not even thinking about it. It's like, oh God, I was, I've spent three hours doing this. That was amazing. Fills you with energy. If you can line up your day job with that, then McKinsey found that those people are five times more productive. 
And so those executives have done more work on Monday evening than the rest, than their colleagues or their com- competitors will do by Friday. And you do that every week, every day, every week, every year. You know, those businesses end up just trouncing the competition and the people who are in them are having more fun. Absolutely. And so you're winning and enjoying it. And I can't think like, why would you want to have a job where it's miserable and you're not enjoying yourself? <laughs> and, and I know that it seems so obvious and people ask me about that all of the time, right? How do they, how do they align their passion or, or their purpose with the work that they do? So tell me, how was it that you were able to find, find those roles that really aligned with your, with, with what you enjoyed doing? Um, I quite like technology. Uh, I think the fact that it's always tomorrow, it's never yesterday. You know, nobody cares what you knew five years ago or 10 years ago. So it's, it's very sort of in the moment and future focused. So I love to learn new stuff. So that fitted. Um, uh, I guess because I'm dyslexic, the idea of writing stuff down is painful. So I'm, <laughs> I'm world famous for the shortest emails ever. You know, like it might be even one letter. And then my, <laughs> like, I might just put K for OK. And then it's my signature file, which is then like a thousand times bigger than the rest of the content. <laughs> that, you know. um, so I would rather speak to people than write to them. Um, I'd rather, you know, be with people face to face than on the end of a phone. So I, that, I guess, gets me into sales. I, I originally, I actually originally started in retail at the age of, well, early 20s. I had 65 middle aged women working for me. And there's no way I get to tell any of those people what to do. So my management <laughs> style evolved from this. I had to persuade people that my idea was a good one and that they should come on this journey with me. So I guess that's where, you know, where I thought the future might be was based on that, that, that success I'd had, which is using the tools I had available, uh, which is, you know, liking to talk to people and being persuasive, I guess. So I found myself in sales. And it was through sales and, okay, I'm going to go to the top here. What do I need to do? Maybe I need to be strategic. I'll do an MBA. And, yeah, all of these sort of things fitted, fitted together. And, you know, now I'm a coach. I look back and go, you know, there's, there's loads of stuff that I know. There are mis- many, many mistakes that I have made. Um, I, one, of my ga- sorry, I, one of the other tools we use is this thing called Gallup Strengths. And so one of yeah. my top five is input. So input is I su- – consume a load of information, read books, read articles, and then I feel compelled to share it back. And so for the first time as a coach, I do that through the podcast and the newsletter and the blog. And uh, so that's the first time really I've had the chance to tick that, you know, one of my strengths there in this role. And I don't, I don't think all of your strengths need to line up with your career choice, but I think enough of them that you get enough energy from it. Otherwise, it's just a job, yeah, right? And, you know, you go to a bar or you go to a restaurant. And I was in a restaurant recently and I ordered some food. And I said to the waiter, I said, I, I, I really think you should consider a career change. Ooh. Because, well, because, you, you know, if you don't like people, this is the wrong job for you, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's and, – and if it's a job, then you'll only be okay at it. You won't be great at it. And it won't bring you any joy. It's just paying the bills. And I think, uh, you know, I can see why lots of people want to work from home and don't want to go back to the office because it's just a job and they're doing the job at home and it's paying the bills. And who wants to commute for 90 minutes if it's just sort of miserable? I think I think I say to companies all the time, the commute is the tax you pay on your culture. Mm. So if your staff won't come back to work, 
your culture is and you should look in the mirror and say, why haven't we built a compelling place for great people to come and do great work? Yeah. It's not on them. It's on you if you're the leader of that business. Yeah, absolutely. So talk to me. When you were a little kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, I was going to join the army. What? Yeah, oh, yeah, totally. That was it. And then, of course, I realized that you had to follow orders. I think I went, <laughs> I think, I think I went Cub Scout, Boy Scout, join the army. I like being outdoors, camping camping even in the winter in the snow we used to do a thing called a brass monkey camp and uh you know shooting shooting stuff with air rifles and hiking hiking outside you know hiking across the moors in the dark loved all that and thought i'll do that in that's the that sounds army sounds like the perfect job no that would have been a nightmare (laughs) that would not be about your strengths right (laughs) no unless unless i suppose i'd found myself in special forces or somewhere like that then um Mm. then maybe but and then, uh, and then, you know, you go, how do you make career choices? I took some, o- I took some O levels and A levels, you know, high school. And I thought I'd become a lawyer. And again, I didn't do very well at my exams, didn't become a lawyer. And I look back and go, yeah, probably a good thing really. And, <laughs> and then got offered a job as a trainee accountant and thought they, they wanted, uh, they wanted more, they wanted they wanted full time for less money than I'd earned part time working in a pizzeria whilst I was paying my way through university. And it's like, <laughs> nope, that doesn't sound very exciting for slave labor wages. So I decided I didn't didn't want to do that either. So yeah. Now talk to me a little bit about your uh, about your book F Plan B. <laughs> well, I I what I tried to do there is I thought, okay, look, there's some principles that I think are true. Um, customer customers come first, that type of thing. Um, and have a purpose and have some core values. So like why are, you know, Simon Sinek's written uh, Start With Why. Um, and so I just thought, look, I've taken some UK businesses to 30 million in five years and we've hired some amazing people, built some great cultures, got awards across Europe for building great places to work. And I thought some of these things are counterintuitive. And so I'll share them. And I coach maybe 10 CEOs and their executive teams at a time, but I really have a, a, on a mission to, you know, demystify business growth, which is why I do the podcast. And so I I thought, well, I'll write the book. That'll give me some more reach. People will read this book and it will help them whether or not they ever speak to me or, you know, whether they come to me for coaching. And so that happens all the time. People say, look, I found your book on Amazon. I bought it. It's amazing. I bought it for all my team. We've already made all of this progress. Thank you very much. And so I just lay out the things that I found out whilst we were growing Rackspace, turning around IT Lab and and scaling Pier 1. You know, things like net promoter score, you know, which is, you know, would you recommend company X to a friend or colleague? And I had somebody the other day said, oh, we do net promoter score. Ours is 8.5. And it's like, no, you haven't. You've never you've asked, you're asking the wrong question and then you're doing the wrong maths. And so I just lay out, <laughs> or somebody says, oh, our net, we tried net promoter score. It didn't work for us, which what they mean is turned out our customer service was sucked. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. and, and, and we didn't want to do anything. <laughs> we didn't want to, and we didn't want to fix it. We decided, we decided being a bit rubbish was, <laughs> why, was why measure it, right? <laughs> yeah. It's less work. Like why be disappointed every week when you get crap scores? So, um, <laughs> Uh, and, you know, again, lots of people do core values, but quite often they do them 
if you ask the staff, what you'll get is you'll get uh, you'll get uh, fun, uh, ex- ex- excellence, uh, teamwork, uh, and stuff. Right, and not that not that they're bad, but they could be the core values for any organization on the planet. So why don't we why don't we try and come up with something so only the people who are great are that here, and it will attract more great people to our business, and it will repel some mediocre ones. And we, so if they, they won't even apply for jobs here because they realize that actually this might be a tough place to work. Mm. And, and, you know, write them in a way that, because uh, I, I think marketing has, uh, has three jobs to do. And the first one is, does it make your staff feel proud of the place they work? Mm. Right? So if we're going to create some marketing, you don't want to do something and people go, well, that's a downright lie. Um, you know, your staff, you go, oh yeah, look, I'm that, that ad, you know, it made me smile, made me proud. Does it make your customers have the same reaction to your customers, bring some sense of pride uh, that they've picked you as a supplier? And then thirdly, maybe it attracts some, some new customers to you. And so there, there, you know, I'm just trying to share some of my observations that people often just get wrong or they... I don't know, they do 80% of the work and miss 100% of the impact, mm. right? And there's just, it's not much more work to do them well. In fact, it might not be any more work to do them really, really well and then have, then have 100% of the impact that you would like. And the world is full of mediocrity. So, um, you know, it doesn't, doesn't take much to stand out, you know, or... Uh, a players, for example, where what you're looking to do is you're looking to hire the top 10% of available talent for a given job in a given location and a given salary. And when I ask leaders to think about two people in their organization, one of which they would say would be an A and one which they think of as a B, and I say, please describe these two individuals. Do you pay them more money? No, don't pay the A player any more money. In some cases, people say, oh, no, I pay them less. Mm. And I say, okay, what about, well, very little management overhead. They never, they never come to me with a question. They only tell me what they've achieved. And quite often they bring me things that they've done that I didn't ask them to do, which were absolutely on point and blow me away. And you think, well, I, my analogy is uh, Alex Ferguson when he was manager of Man United, right? They didn't win the Premier League or Champions League. And they didn't look mm-hmm. at Wayne Rooney and say, I know what we're going to do. We're going to hire somebody who's not as good as Wayne Rooney and pay them less money. But so often I see small businesses, they've got somebody who they think is great, but they don't try and hire somebody better or more expensive. They deliberately lower the average of the talent in their team and hire somebody shitter on less money. And then they go, I don't know why that didn't work. <laughs> blows my mind. And, and when you point it out to them, they go, oh, now you put it like that. I can see that it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And so yeah. I'm just trying to get people to think maybe, maybe not all these things make sense. Exactly. So, so I love that you talk about uh, helping your clients stand out and helping their businesses stand out. So let's talk about how you stand out. How would you describe your brand as a leader, a coach, uh, and even an author? Give me, give me three words that describe your brand. Um, blunt. Ooh. Uh, bold, maverick. Ooh. So blunt, bold, and maverick. So, so tell me, how, how do these words work for you and help you stand out from the crowd? Well, well the blunt one, 
is one that people it's it's one that people have told me right so we were doing a session one day with a client and the session was describe everybody in the room in one word and mm. i think there were eight people in the room and three of them described me as blunt and <laughs> most of the others described me using another word which was basically the same thing and i think um clients want somebody who is an impartial uh actually no they they don't want somebody who's, they want somebody who's opinionated but not in you know opinionated from the outside yeah um and and so i think that's the uh, you can't make any progress unless you admit the truth. Mm. You know, that's sort of, uh, if, if you take a 12-step process, right, you have to admit that you're an alcoholic, otherwise you can't recover. Yeah. Right? So, so often organizations need somebody or CEOs are looking for somebody to say, look, this is, Jim Collins uses the word brutal truth. So mm. we do a brutal truth exercise here with clients every quarter. Like, what is it that people are thinking but not saying? Let's, yeah. let's how do we articulate that? So, so that's the the brutal thing. It's 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 from a good place. It's more like radical candor. You know, I yeah. I, I care deeply for you, so I'm going to be direct rather than I'm just going to be a dick. Yeah, uh, I'm not going to tell you it's shit for the sake of it. It's because, you know, uh, I remember going to first director the UK's first telephone bank, and I was looking for a benchmark for customer churn, and they said our customer churn is four percent a year. And I thought, blimey, ours is two a month. Okay. And they said, well, and we don't think it's, we don't think we get it less than four a year because that's the percentage of the UK population that emigrate or die. And it's like, okay, <laughs> I like, I like that. Right. So there's, there's, there's a, there's a sort of a, it's not soft and fluffy. There's a brutality to that. And, and yeah. so I think that's probably how I often give feedback to clients. Yeah. Now talk to me about being bold. How does that show up for you? I, what I'm after is, is I think, uh, the clients that I like working with, uh, and what I try to coax out of them is what their, where their future could be. Mm. Right. So if you, as human beings, evolution haven't, hasn't given us an ability to look at exponential models. So quite often people are saying, well, last year I grew 10%. So this year I'm going to grow 10%. Instead of saying, okay, I could be a 50 million pound business. What would have to be true over the next three years for that? If I'm three years from now and I'm a 50 million pound business or a hundred million pound business or a 3 billion, one of our clients has got a three-year goal to be a 3 billion pound business. What needs to be true over the next three years, personally for the people in the room who are running this company and in the company, and maybe even in the environment for this to be true and creating that bold, helping those clients create that bold vision which gets people really excited. One of the CEOs, I said, how do you feel? He said, scared shitless, <laughs> right? He said, the hairs on the back of my neck are standing up. I am terrified looking at this, you know? Uh, but then people go straight into it. You know, it's like, there's a bear, run towards the bear, right? Yeah. And, and, and I think that, you know, being bold and helping clients be bold is good fun. And then talk to me about being a maverick. I look, I think many entrepreneurs are mavericks, right? I think, yeah. I think entrepreneurs have an appetite for risk. And I was talking to, I was talking to somebody today about this and, you know, uh, he was talking about how he was frustrated about some of his team, uh, not taking enough risks and playing it safe. And, and that, and that the business was missing his energy because he's not, uh, he's not on the ground, uh, at the moment he's overseas. 
and I think, you know, you just, you, uh, I've been fired a few times. Ooh. Right. And so, you know, you just, you just, you know, what, what's the worst that could happen? I won't have a job. Oh, well, once you've been <laughs> fired a couple of times, it's like, oh, well, that wasn't a big deal. I managed to get, I managed to get another job, you know, and, or even as we were rolling into, you know, COVID, I was thinking, I'm telling all my clients to look at all of their, look really, really hard at your discretionary spend. And at the same time, I know that they might look at the fees to me and go, that's a discretionary spend, Dom, you know, you, we're done here. And one of yeah. them did because he, one company, they, um, they furloughed everybody except, he furloughed everybody except him, let, mm -hmm. you know, put all his, put all his staff out to grass. So there really wasn't a lot of coaching to do for him. Um, <laughs> um, but I then had a chat with, uh, Jack Stack, who wrote Great Game of Business, and Jack said, look, Dom, we've got £500,000 in the bank, and every time there's a black swan event, we've had seven. We've doubled the company in five years. And I thought, shit, we started Rackspace and Pier 1 and turned around IT Lab in the last three recessions. Yeah. Oh, bring it on. <laughs> I, I don't know what will happen, but I'm not even remotely bothered. All of these clients might fire me. We, they might all go away. We might have to create something out of scr from scratch out of nothing. But yeah. That's all right. Back myself. Do well in a corner. So that I think that whole uh, I don't have a I don't have a high I have a low tolerance for bullshit, and I don't <laughs> I have a low tolerance for rules, which is many of the people who've ever managed me have it's driven them absolutely to distraction. But um, I have a high level of innovation and back myself, and so. Um, you know, that, that I think, again, means I can give good advice. Maybe that feeds into the brutal advice with clients yeah. because I'd rather be honest with them and get fired than not be honest and take their money. <laughs> wow. Blunt, bold, and maverick. Have those been things that you have, have had over time sort of as your brand, or has that really evolved for you throughout your career? Oh, I think... I think the maverick thing's always been there. I remember as I left primary school, Mr. Johnson said to my mother, one day somebody's going to punch him in the face. <laughs> and I thought, okay, okay. It hasn't happened yet. Oh no, it, it has, it has, but not, <laughs> but only when, but only when I was playing rugby and not for something I said to somebody randomly. Um, so I know, I think, I think they are, uh, that that's how I show up as a coach. There's probably a couple of other things that, you know, you might layer on there. Um, like learning. I've got a real, I love learning. I read two books a week and hundreds wow. of podcasts, listen to podcasts and read hundreds of articles. So that's in there, but I think that's probably less, you know, relevant in terms of projecting, uh, my brand out into the marketplace. That's sort of a, almost like a core value. Yeah. Um, and uh an adventure as well you know like to see myself as adventurous maybe that's the bold thing so earlier you talked about your mission being to really demystify business for people how did you sort of find what that mission or that that purpose really was how did you define that i i think that's looking at uh looking at those clients where you've got longevity and joy Right. So, you know, when you start and you, when you start, you know, coaching or consulting or being a plumber or an electric or like whatever it is, right. Um, yeah. 
you'll get you'll do work that you don't really enjoy doing because you need the practice and you'll do it for people you don't really like because you need the practice um and you do you know it's a bit more of a job than a than a pack than a thing you get deep joy from but over time you realize who are those clients what are their challenges who do you like working with where's their longevity where is the the respect coming from and the um you know people are really um moved by the impact that you can have on their their companies and so you know happy clients and and happy me and that's where i think that's where it is i i think that it's growing companies not so i say to people look i do good to great not broke fix i um <laughs> say so I, I i have worked with clients before that their businesses weren't growing and they were hoping i might be the magic bullet to get them growing again but that's it's really hard if that's a full-time job and it's impossible i think from the outside because there's a there's a thousand or a million things that they're doing in their business, which are just, they're getting in their own way. Yeah. Um, so much happier working with clients who are growing 30, 40, 50, a hundred percent year over year. And they're now suffering from the challenges of growth. And quite often it's in, they, they think maybe they have, I have a camera in their office because they start talking to me about their problems. And I'll say, well, how many employees have you got? You've got X. And they go, how do you know that? And I say, and is your turnover at Y? And they go, how do you know this? And I'll say, and people have stopped putting the cups in the dishwasher. How do you know? (laughs) (laughs) And so, uh, and it's like, because these are all the challenges that you're going to have. And, you know, you really need your middle managers. You've got a team of, you know, maybe you're a hundred people now and you've got this team of emerging middle managers. And most of them will be promoted because they were the number one salesperson or they were the number one, whatever, or they'd been there the longest. And they didn't really want to be managers they don't have the necessarily the skill or the appetite or the DNA to be a manager. Some of them will, some of them won't. And so the culture's starting to break down and, and it's like, okay, that's a great challenge to have. Let's help. We can help you fix that because we've fixed that for multiple people before. And, um, and you know, it'll be an, the business will be unrecognizable in 12 months, 18 months, two years time. Yeah. And now talk to me about, about your brand. Have you ever, uh, received feedback that, that it was too much for people? And, and if so, how do you, how do you handle that? Do you change or are those just folks you don't work with? It's not for everybody. Yeah. And that's it. It's just, it's not for everybody. You know, we are, I know what we do and, um, there's a great book called, um, Somebody, somebody will be the most expensive. It may as well be you. And so that's, you know, premium pricing is one of, one of our, you know, positioning around price. So, you know, we're expensive. So again, that isn't for everybody. Um, but if people are looking at somebody to have an impact and somebody who understands their challenge, then, uh, you know, as long as that impact is going to be a million pounds a year or more, um, somewhere between one and 10 million pounds a year of impact as a result of working with us, then it comes back to risk. You see, my, my ideal client has an appetite for risk. Yeah. And so they go, you know what? One, well, one client said to me, you know, we need to double this company and exit. And if I look back three years from now, we didn't hire you and I didn't get there. I, I would, that, I would just kick myself. So like I've come back through out here I am in time and I'm thinking I, I don't want to have that regret. So I'm hiring you. 
regret insurance. I want to make sure that this bit, we've done everything, <laughs> everything we possibly can uh, to get the outcome that we want for the shareholders. So, Dominic, a couple of fun uh, questions to wrap up. We've been talking a little bit about your brand. What is your favorite brand as a consumer? What can't you live without? There is a small company near me called uh, Real Cure. They do uh, venison-based charcuterie, mm. and I love that. I have to have some of their some of their their meat in the fridge all the time. <laughs> uh, I I. We've got three Land Rovers. That might suggest that I quite like Land Rovers. Yeah. Uh, you know, off-roading, drive them on the farm as well. Um, so they're quite good. Now, I was going to ask you, if you were a type of car, what type of car would you be? Would you be a Land Rover? Yeah, I think so. Not for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Not very quick. I've never been quick. <laughs> but... But I'm I'm rugged, and I suppose unlike a land, yeah, I guess yeah. You you could I think is I like them because you can take them to bits with a spanner yourself, and and maybe I'm not that you couldn't take me to bits with a spanner, but I'm um, I'm rugged and not for everybody. <laughs> and finally, Dominic, what's the best career advice that you would like to pass on to our listeners? You know, I it's we've got we've got one of the team here who is thinking about her next move. And when anyone joins here, we, we follow the um, tour of duty model from uh, Chris, Chris Yeo and uh, Reed Hoff, uh, Hoffman, who founded LinkedIn. They came yeah. up with this thing, tour of duty, which is, you know, when an employee starts, you say, well, how long are you going to be here? And what, what, why are you doing this job? Right. So I, and, and I said to her, what do you want to do next? She's like, I don't know. So, well, you could do anything then. Yeah, I know. So ha having some idea about what brings you joy and how are you going to, where are you going to go? Like even where you're going to go next. I don't think you need to necessarily know what you're going to do till you, you know, hang your boots up, but why are you taking the next job you're going to take and why, what do you, what do you get out of it? And one of my regional managers at M&S said, gave me some great advice. He said, commit for two years. And at the end of two years, recommit for two years or leave. And so I took his advice and had, I think five jobs in the first 10 years. So I, I think te two years is okay. Two years, you didn't get fired for being rubbish. You left. Um, but as you go in, what does success look like? What do I want to learn from this role? And if something else comes up, what would the next thing look like? Cause maybe you want to, maybe six months is enough. Right. And the, and the ideal yeah. opportunity comes up to learn the next thing. So some sort of trajectory, um, and so I often say, I mean, you know, I've got some older children and I say to them, you know, what do you want to do? Do you, you know, where are you aiming for? Do you want to be sales guy in your fifties, sole contributor? Do you want to be the sales manager? Do you want to be the sales director? Do you want MD? What, you know, where do you want to, where do you think you might end up being? What part of the job do you enjoy? What part don't you enjoy? Most of the time, I think people don't pause to have these thoughts. They've got a job, but they get up, they go to work, they come home. You're not going to end up with a career. You're just going to end up with a series of jobs, which are marginally less miserable than the last. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dominic Monkhouse, thank you so much for being blunt, for being bold <laughs> and being a maverick. It was great connecting with you. It's been an absolute joy. Thanks for having me on. And I'll be back in just a few moments with my final thoughts. 
Are you tired of not being recognized for your work? Are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level? The Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program will help you take control of your career, develop your own unique brand, and catapult you to a whole new level of success. You are a top performer, and the Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program is what you need to get you there. Visit leadwithyourbrand.com to learn how. What an amazing conversation with Dominic Monkhouse, tech growth advisor and author of the popular book, F Plan B. You know, I love that Dominic is so clear on what his brand is, and he's super clear what's on brand for him and what are the things that he's not going to do. So remember, make sure that you are thinking about your brand as much from what you choose not to do as what you choose to do. But you know what really stuck to me about Dominic was this whole notion that he reads two books a week and he listens to hundreds of podcasts because ultimately it's about continual learning. You know, no brand and no person is stagnant. So I'm going to challenge you just like Dominic. What are you doing this week to grow yourself? How are you learning, growing, and evolving as a person and a brand? What are some of those inputs? What is something that you can go and read? Where are some periodicals or articles that you can go out? Maybe you should buy a book or get that book on tape. Hey, maybe it's time to subscribe to another podcast, or maybe just go back in our catalog and catch some more of the Lead With Your Brand podcast, even picking up the phone or texting and reconnecting with an old mate or an old coworker could be exactly what you need to expand your mind and make connections that are going to take you to the next level. Well, that's our show for today. If you loved what you heard, make sure that you hit that follow button on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll give you a brand new episode every single Tuesday. Make sure you're checking me out on social media. I'm at Jason Patria on all platforms and check me out on LinkedIn where I share tons of tips and tricks on how you can lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. And most importantly, in your career, Don't be a boring old commodity like coffee. Make sure you are a super premium brand like Starbucks. You've been listening to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at leadwithyourbrand.com.